Hello, and welcome to the EPC podcast, where we delve deep into EU affairs and connect the dots between politics, policies, and people. My name is Rebecca Kostermans, and I'm the head of communications at the European Policy Centre and host of the EPC podcast. It has been three months since Russia invaded Ukraine. Since then, six million people have fled the country, most of them women and children. Quickly after the start of the war, the EU triggered the Temporary Protection Directive, an exceptional measure intended to give people displaced from Ukraine an automatic right to travel freely throughout Europe and gain access to social welfare, healthcare, housing, and work. In this episode, we talk about how Ukrainian refugees have fared and how they are integrating in their host countries across Europe. And because so many of them are women, we delve deeper into what specific challenges they are facing on the labor market. We highlight different perspectives throughout the episode, from experts and researchers, to organizations on the ground trying to help Ukrainian refugees find work, to employers and the European Commission. I first had a conversation with Lyuba Karpachova from Promote Ukraine, an advocacy group here in Brussels, about how she's experienced the past few months and what Promote Ukraine is doing to help Ukrainian refugees land on their feet here in Brussels and Belgium. My name is Lyuba Karpachova. I am responsible for the refugees department at Promote Ukraine. Um, the organization started originally in 2014 as a response to the uh, events, to the first war that started in Ukraine Back, back then, it was more also for the eight years, it was operating as an advocacy and media platform. However, as of February 2022, when the war, the second war started in Ukraine, a lot of volunteers, a lot of um, Ukrainians who live here in Belgium, and as well, you know, local people who live here, they were looking for some kind of a legal umbrella to operate under and promote Ukraine became that umbrella because, you know, Having already uh, being a registered NGO, having already um, a bank account, having uh, a registration number, and also all the contacts uh, uh, with the government, with the with the parliament, with the commission, it kind of helped us to really drive um, immediately larger projects than if I would be as a you know as a citizen myself, if I would be trying to help Ukraine somehow by myself. So I'm originally from Donetsk. So for me, uh, for my family. It's the second time that we already had to um, leave our houses and leave our homes. Personally, me, I've been for many years already in Belgium, so I wasn't impacted myself. However, my whole family was impacted. And so thankfully now my mother, um, she was also, she as a refugee, she arrived to Belgium here. So now she's staying with me. And it does help a, a little better to know that they are now in the safety. But I still have family members there. We, of course, we continue communicating with them and we continue uh, helping all the friends and family who are still there and suffering through these uh, terrible times. So yeah, it is difficult. It is very stressful. But I would say that for me personally, this volunteering experience, knowing that I can help at least one way, that helps a lot. So I feel also part of this uh, resistant movement, I would say. Initial response, of course, was to support people as an emergency, right? So when they're arriving here, for example, they're looking for accommodation. They uh, don't know where to go. They have a lot of different answers as to what's the registration process. 
And the first few weeks, it was very, very also difficult because even the government in Belgium, they're also taking steps to try to figure out what to do with this huge amount of people that they weren't prepared for. So we were involved significantly in that part. However, now when from the government perspective, we already see, we continue uh, working with the government, the Red Cross and other organizations to provide them feedback. But now we're more involved from the perspective of uh, giving the information, right? So the emergency response already a bit uh, passed. What we're focusing now more is to actually help them integrate here in the community. First of all, due to very lengthy registration process in Belgium, a lot of people arrive and they don't have for at least a month, if not for more, they have no money, they have no food, they have no clothes because they're arriving with one suitcase and uh, to, in order to get social support or to find a job, they need to go through the registration process. So we provide different info sessions with our partners who offer free lunches, for example. We uh, give information on how to have the registration, about the insurance process here in Belgium, about the uh, workers' rights here in Belgium. So what can they expect? And as a subsequence of that, a very big part of our um, job is to, have, um, to help them to find a job here. Next, you'll hear from Sylvia Carta, policy analyst at the European Policy Center, and Lena Detlefsen postdoctoral researcher at the Kiel Institute for the World Economy. Both are part of the Mercator Dialogue on Asylum and Migration Project team. They explain the impact of the triggering of the Temporary Protection Directive on the integration of refugees into the labor market and what specific obstacles women refugees face in finding a job in their host country. So what we have with Ukrainian refugees and the Temporary Protection Directive is really an opportunity to help newly arrived people to start their integration process uh, really early on and to hopefully become self-sufficient and participate uh, in the economy and social life of those country. So uh, there are several obstacles that make it difficult uh, for those refugees that are in Europe to access the labor market. There are a lot of pensioners and people who weren't active uh, in Ukraine before, but it also has to be said that the data about employment in Ukraine point to the fact that the employment rate for women, especially young ones, was lower uh, than for men, for example. I think we're talking about about. 60% uh, for women uh, between 25 and 39, whereas, uh, let's say, for men was a bit higher, so around 80%. So, of course, the fact that there is a possibility to move freely across Europe makes it easier for uh, beneficiaries to actually, actually find jobs that would match their skills. But, however, in order to also effectively enjoy this kind of rights, they will need a lot of different types of support, ranging from language, um, let's say learning, but also vocational training. And this will be definitely a challenge for the member states, but also, of course, for the EU to support them and to provide uh, coordination. Yeah, so in general, research shows that uh, women face nearly a double, maybe even a triple um, disadvantage on the labor market. So it's like that they have the disadvantage of being an immigrant because immigrants have lower um, labor market participation rates. Then refugees especially also have additional disadvantage here as they also have a lower, again, lower labor market participation rates. And then women face additional gender obstacles. So this is in general the picture. And this will also be the case for Ukrainian refugees if they are women. To be more specific, there are several challenges. So one is, for example, the, the gaps in education and work experience. Education may, might not be such a 
big problem for Ukrainian uh, refugees, as especially for women, the um, educational level is quite high and and was quite high in the Ukraine. But this question is how we can transfer their skills now to the labor market in the EU. But on the other side, the work experience is much lower or was much lower for them than for other women in the European labor market. So the labor market participation rate was lower for women, especially in the working on the younger ages. So this can be an obstacle as a yeah, work experience might have an impact on labor market participation and integration in Europe. Then one thing which is a general gender obstacle are gender norms and which will also be an obstacle for uh, Ukrainian refugees if they are women is that there is a segregation of the labor market and this was also the case in, the U in Ukraine and so um, women typically work more in service sectors in Ukraine, also in uh, the agricultural sector, so there is, was a higher share there, but typically they don't work in many industrial sectors. However, the job shortages present in the EU are often in these male-dominated sectors, so the question is how can then be matched and how this fits uh, together and their gender norms can be a challenge. Yuba from Promote Ukraine can also see how Ukrainian women are struggling. And what makes matters more complicated is that a lot of them have children or elderly relatives to take care of. For the families where you have two to three uh, children, it's because, again, the woman is by herself now, right, with those two to three children. She might have her mother, for example, with her, but again, those are mainly elderly people. They cannot cope with that. They also don't know the language. And the younger women, they, they probably know at least English, which is already good enough. But to um, bring every child to school, to pick up a child to school, the crash in Belgium, for example, the, the um, daycare in Belgium, um, it's um, if the school is for free for the Ukrainian refugees, the daycare is not. So for the children up to two and a half years, they need to look for the um, daycare and of course if they go through this registration process and they reach out they go to CPS or OCMV there are some uh, daycares that are I don't know if they're for free or very very cheap so they're affordable daycares but you need to go through that process you need to get approval so it's another few months before she even can start thinking about getting a job and looking for a job um, and so for sure it's a very big problem and on our end right now we don't have a specific solution However, we are trying to talk to very different uh, organizations and, and the government as well and uh, provide potential solutions. So we have the grandmothers sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. They don't speak language local, but they speak Ukrainian. So why not they take care of those children and help those women to look for a job? Of course, there are certain situations we're now looking into that, how to make it legally uh, accessible, because, you know, if they will be carers for the children, how will it be registered here officially in Belgium? Mm -hmm. But we want to make sure that those women could also, the elderly women could get some uh, salary out of it. And then it would help also the younger generation to look for jobs. One big challenge is always the lack of language skills. And their research generally on female refugees is that women less often participate in integration courses and language courses, which then leads to worse labor market outcomes. Or this is often the case due to childcare issues. This might already impact this stage and um, leads to a worse starting point of women to integrate into the labor market. In my conversation with Lyuba, I asked her what, at the moment, the biggest problem is for Ukrainian refugees in finding work here. 
it's the recognition of the diplomas. And um, the, 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 the big problem here is that sometimes, um, okay, I can understand if this is a doctor, for example, right, or a psychologist, that they need to be um, trained and provide help here. That takes a little bit more time. So any process to speed up that, that would help. Because in Belgium, for example, it takes at least four months. I don't know about other European countries, but in general, it's a very lengthy process. There are also recognition. And, and you know, if a person is a professional to help, like a psychologist is just one example, it's a professionally recognized psychologist in Ukraine. So if they're going to work with Ukrainian people, why cannot they operate here? Mm-hmm. You know, so to do some kind of at least maybe facilitation while they're being um, recognized their diploma for the other countries, at least allow them to be officially employed and work for Ukrainians. This is just one example, you know, any way of um, waive for some of the um, um, professions, if there is any way to waive this diploma recognition process or speed it up, that would help significantly. The lack of rules surrounding the recognition of diplomas and trainings of refugees and non-EU country nationals is also a problem for employers, as explained by Teresa Hornung, senior advisor to the BDA Confederation of German Employers Associations. The recognition of, of qualification attained um, in, in third countries is, of course, can be tricky in, in terms of long procedures, right, and costly procedures. That's a barrier as well for refugees. Um, getting the right documents, translations, and so on. Um, so a lot of uncertainties uh, here. And, and narrative across what I see in Germany, but also ac- across um, the European Union is, okay, recognition of qualification is complicated. Um, but what I can say from, from, from an employer's point of view, the recognition of vocational and academic qualifications it's usually not necessary to, to integrate refugees into the labor market. So work at least when we talk about the non-regulated professions, work can be taken up also without recognizing officially and formally recognizing those qualifications. And we, we so often forget that because the non-regulated professions are by far the majority of all jobs. So we, we don't need a, recogni- a recognition procedure here. I asked Lyuba and Teresa about the responses and viewpoints from employers so far. Because of the solidarity movement, a lot of companies are willing to hire Ukrainians either with no um, uh, with basic English or with no local languages knowledge at all, which is exactly where the problem is, right? Because if people already speak local languages or if they have very good English, most of them, they're already some kind of like in the process of interviewing. However, the main problem is with people who do not speak languages. And so by finding those companies who are willing to open up and be a bit more flexible, or maybe even creating certain projects that would allow hiring several Ukrainians, um, we help them find each other, basically. They can and do hire refugees on their own responsibility and can do so flexibly. So, yeah, we, we do see that trend as well um, in, in Germany, what you mentioned um, happening in, in, in Belgium. And when it comes to the recognition of um, regulated professions, um, of course, then, then we have some requirements in place. And I think here it's very important that we not only simplify, but also accelerate the procedures because we have so many tools. There are so many experts out there when it comes to unbureaucratic skills assessment, like self-assessment, all these things. We can make use of those tools, the, the chambers of commerce, the, the, the federal employment agency in the member states and, and all these actors. And that's also, um, so I was quite happy to see that also in the in the guidelines um, the the EC published, where, where they emphasized as well, like formalities for the recognition should be really reduced to a minimum. 
that's that's what I would le really like to advocate um, for too. What I was also curious about is the risk of exploitation. Ukrainian refugees taking on jobs that are poorly paid or far below their qualifications. And how are Ukrainian women here dealing with balancing their hope and desire to return home soon with needing to earn money quickly to feed and house their families? I haven't had any proved instances. Uh, what I had is that uh, there, were, there were examples where, which we were able to prevent, right? So we've seen, for example, that... Um, Well, this is this is not the exploitation. It was all official, but it was just during the communication. We were looking for uh, Ukrainian teachers to be hired here at the, in the Belgian uh, schools so they could continue delivering Ukrainian program. And at one point, there was a communication about that the Ukrainian teachers will continue to be paid in Ukraine. But the salary of Ukrainian teacher is, you know, it, if, if they get 300 euro, it's great. You know, that's already too high. So there is, it's impossible to survive um, under the circumstances here in Belgium. So with that, we were able to raise our hands and say, guys, this is impossible to do. We need to find different solutions. And I know Belgian government now, they're looking into that and they're trying to find a solution, which is very good. But I've also seen on Facebook, because now, of course, there is a lot of uh, people who are trying to help, but also, unfortunately, but there are people who are trying to abuse the situation. And I have seen on Facebook uh, already job offers that to knowledgeable people, they do, do seem very shady. But to a person who just arrived, maybe don't speak so well language, if they see in their own language uh, advertisement of, hey, uh, job, uh, start tomorrow, six euro an hour, easy, um, not so much to do. You know, for them, it's, oh, six euro an hour, it's quite a lot if, if you compare it, you know, to Ukrainian uh, salaries and they go for it. But it's, it's, uh, it's exploitation, you know, compared to the minimal salary uh, in Belgium. Everybody who is arriving right now because of the situation, first of all, Ukrainians are usually um, hard workers, you know, for us not to have a job, it's almost like a, a very stressful situation. So it's almost impossible uh, to imagine yourself in a situation where I do not have a job. So, and I've seen people arriving with very highly skilled people, you know, with uh, several diplomas in Ukraine, but because here, for example, they're not recognized. I've seen those people coming and saying, I'm willing to do any kind of job, just give me a job. So, you know, they're willing to come from a, I don't know, being a lawyer or high-level manager, they're willing to become um, a waitress, for example, as long as they have a job. But on the other end, as you say, I've also seen people who are saying, yes, but I will be coming back in a month or two. I don't want to get hired on a very good permanent job. I just want to do something temporary. Um, so for some people, even, you know, like the collection of fruits, for example, now in Belgium coming up, as a, it's a big um, uh, workers' um, you know, opportunity uh, for labor. And I've seen people already interested in that, too, because they say, I want to go back in a few months. I don't want anything permanent and sign a permanent contract. I do not want that to. So, yeah, yeah the balance, the balance is a very difficult yeah. question. Let me be very clear about um, ex exploitation of refugees and, and especially vulnerable groups. Um, it's, it's unacceptable and it's illegal. And, um, and, and as is employing them below minimum wage in, in, in Germany. So they have. They they um, they are granted the same rights as employees, and in case of any violations, um, um, companies face face sanctions, of course. But what you uh, quite importantly mentioned, Rebecca, some just want to, of course, they many hope, and in, in, in case of a ceasefire, they can re return quickly. We simply don't know how many want to return. Like first surveys show that like a majority actually want, like voices the desire to return now. But of course, they can also use that either 
as bridging the gap until they go back to Ukraine or are able to go back and return safely and, and indeed take a job below qualifications. Or the other option is also bridging the gap to find a job that actually like meets their qualification level. And that is especially relevant when it comes to language training because you can start jobs and you can then still, you can do in-company training, you can do accompanying training. They, are, they have access, at least in Germany, have access to all those support instruments. But this needs to be then definitely accompanied by, by like career guidance and, and training for a transition to later job that, that, that fits their qualifications. But again, for this, we need, we need again, simple and rapid uh, recognition mechanisms. Employment in line with the qualification is, of, is, is in the interest of both sides, clearly. I mean, companies benefit from that and, and the individuals too. It's like that there are two sides to this problem, as there will be the employer side, that there might be discrimination happening, that we downgrade qualifications. But on the other side, we can, might have also this, the side of the employees who wish to have employment very quickly and they are therefore downgrading to have immediate uh, rewards on the labor market. And um, so this will be a, an issue if this yeah, conflict will uh, last longer. This will be an issue we m might need to tackle that we have not so much downgrading of the qualifications. And it might be especially also important in this context, as this has, has been happened before with Ukrainian uh, qualifications or that they have been downgraded before so that they there was kind of a brain waste before this invasion that people worked in lower qualified jobs and did this because of the rewards they could send home. So um, this will be a big issue. Activating the Temporary Protection Directive was an unprecedented move from the EU. Sylvia and I sat down with Katerina Dimitrakopoulou, head of sector working on integration at the Legal Migration and Integration Unit at DG Home at the Commission, and discussed how the implementation of the directive is going so far in the member states, what additional measures the Commission was working on to support the labor market integration of Ukrainian refugees, and whether they're factoring in gender-specific approaches. So we have called upon member states to take national measures and implement uh, the provisions of the Temporary Protection Directive as a matter of urgency. And we have done this in close cooperation with the social partners. I think you have seen in the communication of the 23rd of March, uh, entitled Welcoming Those Fleeing the War in Ukraine and Getting Europe Ready for These Needs. And indeed, we are working closely with uh, relevant stakeholders, uh, social partners, employers, the public employment services, to facilitate labour market integration of these displaced people. And of course, there's also funding that is available. Uh, so to help new arrivals acquire the necessary skills, uh, there's EU cohesion policy funding available. And the new Cohesion Actions for Refugees in Europe program, the so-called CARE, can also help. And also our Asylum Migration and Integration Fund, but there we have less money. Um, this could also, for example, prepare for employment, entrepreneurship and language courses, but also go a little bit further into counseling, basic training and business support for the business, uh, businessmen and entrepreneurs who are coming here, and business women, very importantly. And of course, the member states have the possibility to tailor this support uh, to their specific needs. 
how in all of these initiatives or maybe in future initiatives is the fact that you know some or a, a big portion maybe of Ukrainian refugees that are now currently in Europe how long they will stay here is not very sure at the moment a lot of them hope of course that very soon they might want to go back to Ukraine that they might want to return some people already are returning. Um, I think some numbers from UNHCR, although it's not clear, we're talking about a million people already who have or who are planning uh, to return. So in devising these initiatives or these uh, measures, is that a factor that the commission is taking into account? How do you how do you balance that, you know, about wanting to integrate people as quickly as possible into the labor market, but then at the same time, you're not sure if they're going to be here long term? Yeah, no, this is a very valid question. And I think that one thing we have learned is that in this particular situation, there are many uncertainties. So this is why it is very important that we have taken this uh, step immediately and addressed the need to support uh, the people who are coming in the labor market with uh, activating the TPD, the Temporary Protection Directive. Is the TPD is the abbreviation we're using all the time here. So, um, but I would like to make a point uh, with respect to that is that from our past experience, we know that if we delay integration in the labor market for the people who have come or not allow them or not give them access, proper access to the labor market, this has a negative impact in their overall integration trajectory. And this can also be, because this is true independently of whether they're staying for a week, a month or a year. Because in any case, many people who are fleeing Ukraine, it will not be, you know, it will be a little bit longer for them to take up work. So it is very important that we already have the structures, the possibility in place and then hope that the people will be able to use them. And ultimately, as I often say, even if they come back after a short period of time, it can only enrich them this experience. But it is very important that they, they must have this possibility. And of course, as you know, the temporary protection is also not granted on a permanent basis. This is why we're calling it temporary. You know? So it is uh, basically for a year, and then it is renewable for six months and then possibly six months and then a final year at the max. So, but as I said, the situation is evolving and, you know, it will be able to evaluate the situation after a while when we really see the trends. Because you're perfectly right that we see now some people going back, but we don't know what the future brings in this war. So there you go. And given that the majority of the Ukrainian refugees now are women who usually have to care for um, their children or for elderly parents, is that as well a factor in your in, in when you come up with these new initiatives? It, has special care been given to, you know, maybe gendered measures or initiatives that, for instance, if women want to enter the labor market, um, they need daycare, for instance, if they have children. And and for Ukrainian refugees, we've, we've heard from Promote Ukraine here that, that that's a barrier um, for them. So is anything in particular done for, for female refugees? Yes, I mean, there's a lot. But uh, indeed, we are discussing relentlessly with member states because if you want, it's all a chain. Huh? Integration is not a one-dimensional. We will only look at the labor market. No, it's all a chain. It begins with accommodation, 
with uh, education and early childcare, as you mentioned, onto the labor market and onto health as well, because many people have also experienced health trauma, psychological, etc. So this is also very important. But in particular for women, I would say that all of this is even more important because we hear from member states that most of the people who are fleeing the war are women with children. That's what they're telling us. So when you're fleeing with your young child, what you need, obviously, if you want to access the labor market, is to find a daycare facility first to be able to leave your child there. And then, yes, indeed, you can go into the labor market. So this is something that we're looking at very actively. There was also a very interesting guidance that was published by my colleagues dealing with education and, and early care uh, that was made available at the beginning of April, I think on the 4th of April, and there, they are also including recommendations for schools on how to facilitate the integration of, uh, of uh, these children that are now coming so that the mothers then, they could also access the labor market. And for example, I know also that European schools have also opened the doors, which is very interesting here in Brussels and in Luxembourg and in other parts, because most of the Ukrainian children, they speak a little bit of English. So whereas to speak the local language, uh, it is more, you know, it is trickier. So I have my daughter in the European school and she's telling me, oh, we have a new Ukrainian girl and it's very nice. So this is also very good, you see. Uh, the experience is shown us that in particular, women uh, that are refugees or beneficiaries of temporary protection often work below their qualification level and they are at risk of poor working conditions. And this, um, you know, this is very problematic. So um, this is why it is important to have a simple and rapid qualifications recognition mechanism, because this way we can avoid this. And it, it is also very important to correctly inform the people arriving and the women arriving about their rights. And this not only in terms of protection, but also in terms of wages and other labor market rights. And in general, the average level of the wages in Ukraine are a little bit lower than the average in the EU. So this explains why uh, people from Ukraine have already left Ukraine and emigrated towards the EU before. before the. But now we have this risk because there is a risk of abuse in the recruitment of uh, Ukrainians, in particular to Ukrainian women. And yes, then there's also the risk of trafficking of human beings. Yeah. Uh, and this is especially for unaccompanied minors and vulnerable women. So this is another important thing. But uh, just to finish off on this, uh, there's also this initiative of the European Labour Authority that has a platform against uh, undeclared work. And now they're mobilized uh, specifically focusing on people fleeing Ukraine. So they're working together with Europol and together with the member states. And there's also uh, authorities of Ukraine uh, under the impact framework on trafficking in human beings, and they're working to prevent labor exploitation. And there, I think the labor, the labor authority of the Netherlands is also very active there. That's what we have heard. And so because Ukrainian refugees are now under the temporary protection directive, they're not only entitled or they don't only have right to, to employment, but also to housing and also to social welfare 
and, uh, and benefits. So what is the level of support that EU countries will be expected to provide to, to those refugees who, who can't find jobs immediately? And are you aware already of any existing best practices in member states? Yes, obviously this is very different from one member state to the next and we do not have comprehensive information at this point. But we are exchanging uh, with member states on a weekly basis. What I can tell you is that we have heard that many member states, they provide financial allowances to beneficiaries of temporary protection. Somebody was saying, for example, that here in Belgium it's even a an important amount of money, I think, was something like 1,200 euros. So, you know, it's quite uh, significant, I think. Um, but these financial allowances, um, they're subject to varying conditions, of course. And this depends on the living conditions, on the family situation, obviously also on the member state. And yes, there's a certain degree of variability. Uh, they can be increased, they can be decreased. Uh, and this depends on whether, for example, other benefits have been provided, whether they are being lodged, uh, etc. So it's quite varying. And the same thing a little bit uh, is the, our experience from what we're hearing about medical care. So it can it can vary from full access to the healthcare system, as is the case in my member state, Greece, to only emergency care. Yeah. So usually, you know, so it depends. But all member states have put in place provisions, for example, um, of on mental health care. And this is, again, significant degrees because, uh, you know, they have specific measures and a different take in each member state. But it is important to know that they are really assisting people with mental issues uh, following, uh, you know, the fleeing the war. Yeah. So this, I think, very important. We have had so many challenges for the past seven years and they're not about to stop. So we really need to pull our sleeves up all together. Very, very briefly about the talent pool, because we haven't mentioned yeah. it. I mean, I guess it's very early stage, so it's also difficult for you to, to comment on that. But basically, what would be the value added and also to make sure maybe employers are, are keen on participating? But then we'll release you uh, after yes, this Yes, yes, of course. No, it's good that you're asking because the, the talent pool and actually the pilot talent pool, because this is what we're talking about now, is something that is very important to us and we would like to make some publicity, actually. <laughs> the, um, the reason why we're setting up the talent pool more generally yeah, is to be able to give uh, people... Uh, the opportunity to to come in the EU and to learn and, you know, to, to match a little bit them to the employers who have specific needs in certain sectors. Huh? So by launching this pilot, uh, this pilot talent pool for the displaced people, uh, the difference is that they're already here, of course, but the, the idea that we have is that we will be able to do this matching in a way that will be beneficial to both. Like I will give you an example. You know, of course, that uh, there, we have uh, serious issues in particular after COVID in certain sectors of the EU economy. So by uh, some matching the demand with the supply, so the, the supply would be then the people who have come and they have the skills and they have the talent and they can't fill in this post because they have been trained. By matching them to the needs, it's a win-win. 
for our society because on the one hand these people can have very important experience and you know learn also things and on the other hand we can cover our our uh, needs in terms of labor market uh, the things that we cannot fill in because we do not have enough people who were already there who could take up these jobs so I think this is the whole added value. It is a win-win. And what we'll do this, of course, together with the employment services of the member states. So it is not as if we will be managing it. But uh, we're very excited and looking forward to launching this properly. Finally, I asked Teresa, Yuba, Silvia and Lena what more the EU and member states could do to support the labor market integration of Ukrainian refugees and help women refugees in particular to find meaningful jobs. I think additional and complementary measures on a national level need to be ongoing all the time from now on. Um, I must say, I find that the Commission acted very swiftly. Um, I mean, um, look how, how quickly the, the, um, the temporary um, protection directive was, was activated and, and, and passed. That's, so if they're in a chosen ice league and on a EU level, if there's political will, it, it works, right? We... Um, so I think they, they, they did some very important things, but again, ongoing, ongoing efforts. We usually always stick to what has worked in the past because that's how our political brains are wired, right? So it's just that we really need to continue to think labor market integration from the perspective of, of women and mothers. And um, that means we need to continue invest, to invest in, in dedicated integration programs. So no one size fits all integration programs, but tailored to those often very special and also complex needs. Mm-hmm. Career guidance, also like body and mentor programs, that's super important. They also like the, from talking about the lessons learned in the past, it showed that like also access to social and support networks is super important for women, like neighborhood initiatives, local community engagement. And of course, what has been said, um, childcare facilities, um, portable, accessible, and, and not only childcare facilities, but also education, um, schooling, and so on. And of course, uh, an, another aspect which we should maybe take into our consideration when we want to lay a foundation for ongoing integration efforts is um, prolonging the residence permits under the temporary protection directive right away, because it just gives for companies, but of course also for refugees, much more planning security when it comes to their commitment to, to an integration, a possibly desired integration to the labor market. You know, we were very lucky with uh, all the countries in Europe, they're opening their doors and people are inviting and saying, please stay here temporarily. But what is temporarily? We've been already 70, you know, it's, uh, what is it, 70 days already at war and um, it's, it's not the end yet. So, of course, even for the hosts, it's sometimes difficult that they continue living with the people, uh, they don't get any salary out of it, it's electricity, very expensive. For some people, they even put, you know, into the very small rooms uh, support. Those people now start looking for long-term housing and they cannot find it. Yeah. And so their heads are, where, do, where to find the roof for my children? I don't have time to look for a job. So that's, that's another thing where um, I've been working um, on a number of different projects with the, the Belgian government. They're being very helpful. I think uh, they're definitely um, having multiple projects in mind already, but it also takes time. Yeah. And so it's kind of the same. Any, any support, any idea, uh, pro- idea of a project or alternatively, 
working with the population here and saying, guys, please rent, because some people are willing, they already have means to rent, but uh, in Belgium, not so many people want to rent those apartments for the Ukrainian refugees because they think it's temporary. Um, so that support or guarantee to, to be given to the Ukrainians, that would also help a lot. Yeah, no, I also completely agree with Teresa's assessment. I mean, what we have seen so far, especially at the EU level, it's really uh, I mean, incredible. Then, of course, implementation needs to happen in the member states. So there is uh, a limit in what the EU can do. It can accompany, it can advise, it can, of course, provide funding and support uh, in many ways. But then uh, we have 27 member states and a big risk is that we see different standards being implemented. So in that sense, like the EU will definitely play an important role to try, uh, let's say, to keep the standards as even as possible. And then I also wanted to say that apart from the recommendations about uh, residence permits, that's absolutely key, especially looking at the long term, but also more general observation maybe about the kind of challenges that we are talking about, because of course, I mean, uh, we are talking about women refugees, not because uh, they are inherently uh, more vulnerable or facing more difficulties, but as all women, let's say, entering the job market at many different levels, there are structural uh, issues and challenges relating to wage inequality, relating to discrimination. So, of course, all of this needs to be uh, put into context. And maybe also to add, and I also totally agree with the two first assessments, is that well, I want to agree especially with not looking also only at the past because we do not have so much experience or not so much knowledge on integrating women because they often have been neglected in many discussions. So the it is known for a long time that women are particularly vulnerable and that they have low um, labor market participation rates. But um, as they often came due to family reasons and often from countries where we assumed the specific social norms, we just um, didn't care so much as we will now care about the recent inflow of Ukrainian refugees. So this is also a big chance that we now really have that we will get data because if, if people come over family reunification, for example, in Germany, you no know, data is really stored on their educational level and their skill level. And all this will really help us to now provide also evidence what is working. And what I can say from the research side is that at least the evidence which is there is that in some policies and policy interventions work differently for men and women. So it's not like that one policy which has been successful in the past need to be successful with this um, recent migration inflow as women might react differently. So I can, can just agree and also the research is showing that one needs specific policies targeting women, that we need these mentoring programs and need to reduce the institutional barriers which they face typically faced. This episode was created with the support of the Mercator Dialogue on Asylum and Migration, or MEDAM. Thank you to Lyuba, Lena, Katerina, Teresa, and Sylvia for their contributions and valuable insights. If you're interested in volunteering with Promote Ukraine or in donating, you can go to promoteukraine.org. If you want to help Ukrainian refugees here in Belgium specifically, you can go to ukrainianhub.eu. We here at the EPC will continue to follow the war in Ukraine and its impact on Europe. Be sure to check out our website, www.epc.eu, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Until then, over and out.